I'm so glad you're with us tonight for these transformative truths. I'm Dr. James Egan, pastor of the Journey Church in Gainesville, Texas. And if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're continuing our study on the first uh, epistle of the Thessalonians. And today's subject is a church worthy of imitation. A church worthy of imitation found in verses 6 through 10. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You know, a good role model is very, very important. Uh, it demonstrates what can be done and it provides direction on how things should be done. And of course, we know that it inspires one as to what ought to be done. And uh, when we think about it, Christians are blessed to have many role models. Of course, our supreme role model is none other than Jesus Christ. And as, vid as but as individuals, we have many uh, ex excellent role models found in the scripture. And as churches, we also have role models that we ought to have in order to inspire our congregations. And, you know, in fact, to inspire any congregation for that matter. And among the many churches described in the New Testament, the church at Thessalonica proved to be a congregation worthy of emulation. And when you think about it, Paul commended their example. Again, he says in verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Um, even though they were a rather young church and they were a church that was suffering great affliction at the time that Paul is praising them. And so in these verses, in these, in these five simple verses, Paul mentions several things for which the Thessalonians were exemplary. Um, and to encourage us both individually and us as congregants of our local church uh, who make up the congregation of the Lord, and so we're going to talk again about a church worthy of imitation. And first of all, I have five points. The first is their imitation of Paul and the Lord. Their imitation of Paul and the Lord. He says in verse 6, the first clause, he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord. So note that they were imitators themselves individually. They followed after the example of Paul and the Lord and following after the example of other churches. If you go over here to chapter 2 verse 14, uh, the Bible says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. Something uh, Paul commanded the church in Corinth to do was to endure. Go over here with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, he told them to be imitators 
uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says in verse 16, he says, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Uh, they, they want him, he wants them to imitate him and, and uh, how he was uh, patient and suffering and letting God uh, work in him. He considered all things a loss to know the surpassing greatness of the Lord. Uh, go over here to uh, Philippians uh, uh, 3.17, but keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. Um, you go over here to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, verse 17, it says, Brethren, I do not come out, count, excuse me, I do not count myself to apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And so he's, he's pressing on. You go back over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Uh, even he himself sought to imitate Christ. As it says, he says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And so those who would be good examples to others must first be good imitators. Um, good imitators. Uh, what that, that's a word that, you know, probably many folks don't prefer. They, it, it sounds like you might be phony or fake, but it's a biblical word. And it's a biblical concept. If you're going to be a good example of Christ, you need to be a good imitator of Christ. And uh, um, how about us today? You know, we're talking about their imitation of Paul and the Lord, and they were imitators themselves. Well, how about us? How about you and I? Are we seeking to imitate others who are good examples? Um, do we, are we, as disciples of Jesus, we should certainly seek to imitate Him. Look, look with me over here at John chapter 13. Over here in John chapter 13, verses 13 through 15. He says, For I have given you an example. I'm sorry, verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for I am, if then your Lord, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. And as children of God, as children of God, we read in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 1, we read this, a similar thing, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. And so it's likely that we have other role models worthy of emulation, both individual and, uh, and churches, and we need to focus on being good imitators of Paul, and of Christ if we want to belong to and make up a church worthy of imitation. And next notice Paul that Paul commended them for not only their imitation, but also their reception of the Word. Their reception of the Word. Having received the Word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Right there in verse 6, the second clause. Note how they received the Word. First, it was with much affliction. We read about the Thessalonian church in Acts chapter uh, 17, the formation of it, um, in verses 1 through 10. You, you actually see how the church was formed, and you can look at that. But go over, to, go over here to chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians, 
um, verses 1 through 4. Look what he says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we, that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know, and you know. And, uh, and so, you know, they were... They were in much affliction, as the Bible says, and and this is where the, and this and in this they were like the churches at Judea, as it said over here in chapter two, verse fourteen. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same thing from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. I'm kind of getting a picture here that uh, a church that's worthy of imitation is a church that knows how to suffer. Uh, that's certainly what Paul is saying here. And, and of course, Jesus and Paul both suffered greatly for their testimony, uh, one as the Lord and one, of the, one for the Lord. And so the second was, uh, and here, notice how they received the word. They received it in much affliction. The second was with, the second is in the joy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, joy is the fruit of allowing, uh, is, 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 uh, is a fruit of following after the Spirit. We learned about that in our months-long study on the flesh of the Spirit. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit, joy. Love, joy, peace, patience. Well, it's Galatians 5.22. And in response to prayer, God imparts joy to the believer through the Holy Spirit. Did you know that's in Romans 15, verse 13? Let me show you that. Romans 15, verse 13, it says, Now may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace and believing that you may abound in the hope and by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a benediction. And it is especially how the word was received in times of persecution as we can read historically from Acts 13, um, Acts 13, 49-52. It uh, says right here, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from the region. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so do you, I, I think we're seeing a pattern again. It's not only that they, they, they struggle, but they struggle with joy. I, I don't see them struggling here with complaining or with gossiping or with uh, worry or anxiety or pandemonium uh, or panic. Uh, they, they just, they took it. They, they knew that uh, uh, a teacher is no greater than his master. You know, Jesus said, you will suffer tribulation in this world. Uh, but be not afraid, I have overcome the world. Uh, this church is full of overcomers. And uh, that they're imitators of Paul and the Lord. They received the Word of God with gladness. And Paul described further how they received the Word over here in chapter 2, verse 13. He says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the Word of men, but as in truth 
the Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. This is worthy alone of a sermon. But you know what? We're going to get to that passage uh, in several weeks to just look at verse 13 particularly as we talk about their conversion. Uh, last week, the last time we were together, we talked about their, their calling. We talked about their past conversion uh, in, in eternity past. And then we're going to talk about their conversion right here in chapter 2, verse 13 when we get to it. I look forward to that. It's one of the reasons we're studying this book. There's so many wonderful things, but they receive the Word is not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God, as the Word of God. I wonder how you receive uh, the message. I wonder how you receive the preaching of the Word. I, I want to tell you something, honestly. Um, 20 years of doing this, almost now 21, of preaching every week. Uh, my son told me just a moment ago that in 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 the last less 30 days or so I've I've I have filmed and preached nine different times and uh you know it is it it's mind-boggling to me that that people would listen to a preacher it's mind-boggling to me that they would listen to me and uh and then I take this, this great comfort that God is pleased to use the foolishness of preaching to win the souls of man. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And I mean, there's, there's times that, that uh, you know, I'm up or I'm down at the time of the filming of this. I'm, I'm dealing with a, with a concussion from, uh, from, from, a, from falling uh, these lights that are shining in my face are just killing me right now as, as I'm speaking to you. But God is pleased because it's, it's not me, it's the Word. That's the only solace that I have as a minister of the gospel. I know I, I, know I wish I could, and I know I hope I can, and I know I hope I will be better at it. But I will never, ever change the content of what I, I, I preach as a minister. There's only one thing to preach, is the Word of God. And when I listen to preachers, what warms and stirs my heart is that I receive the Word. I receive the Word and I'm thankful for the men that deliver it. I'm thankful, truly thankful, for the men that deliver the Word. If a man stands up and preaches the Word of God verse by verse, word by word, letter by letter, you're not gonna have to worry too terribly much if he has been caught up in some kind of error. Uh, it's when the sermon is all about the illustrations and, and the stories instead of the exposition of Scripture that one is, is uh, one needs to consider a pause and, and think about what are they hearing. Again, the Word of God is the power of God of salvation. These folks were living in a terrible time of affliction they were saved for eternity future. The text says they were saved uh, from eternity past in their election. And, uh, but what about the present? Well, under the great affliction that they were going through, they were receiving the Word of God with joy. And uh, so I, I think that, uh, you know, if they were living in the days of COVID-19, where churches have had to... Uh, curtail their meetings. I think they'd be gathered around uh, any television they could be that would have a, have Paul preaching and they would receive it or a man or 
uh, preaching the Word of God with spirit and in truth. And so uh, that is something we need to remember. We receive the Word of God. It's not from men, but from God. And, and, and let me tell you something. That doesn't mean that you go up to the preacher and you say, you, you say something to him that's a backhanded slap. You know, I, I, I don't care to listen to you, but I'm grateful to hear. And you know, it's amazing. There's folks that do that. Um, the preacher's a man too, you know, and uh, you, I, I guarantee you this preacher always, always uh, responds kindly to a kind word. And, uh, but it's the word of God we preach. And um, as far as me and my house, we'll serve the Lord and uh, I preach Christ crucified. I mean, that's, that's it. And, uh, and I, I don't have any uh, reservations about somebody coming up and saying, thank you for being faithful to the Word. Uh, I like it. Well, how about us today? Uh, how is our reception of the Word of God? Uh, do we receive it only when it's convenient? Um, do we take advantage of the opportunity to study God's Word? Uh, is our attendance of worship and Bible study chosen haphazardly? Uh, how about uh, do we not experience the joy of the Holy, that the Holy Spirit imparts? Uh, could it be related to neglecting the Word of God in our own personal devotions? Um, are we a church that's worthy of imitation when it comes to the Word of God? If everyone studied the Bible like we do, would the church grow? Would would the churches have elders as uh, individuals? Are we receiving the Word properly with meekness, aware of our need of the Word, as it says in James 1.21? Um, like newborn babies desire their mother's milk, knowing that the Word is necessary for spiritual growth, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 and 2. If we do not set the right example regarding our reception of the Word, then we will be following the example of those who were rebuked in Hebrews chapter 5. And I want to look at that. That's necessary to see that in Hebrews chapter 5. Look at this. Verse 12, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. You know, I, there's nothing I love more than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a cold glass of, of milk. Uh, I mean, that to me is just, uh, that is, I love that. But I'll tell you, there's not a whole lot I love, uh, I, I love more than that, but I, I could take a hot steak and baked potato. And uh, there's a big difference between eating a steak and drinking a glass of milk. And so... Friends, how do you receive the Word of God? Are you still asking the elementary questions? Um, if you're asking questions, that's good, but we all need to be growing in grace. Uh, just as we keep a plant at home, we don't keep dead ones, we keep live ones, and we want them to grow. And So we water them and we tend to them. So the Thessalonians were not only good students and learners of the Word, but they were also commended for their spreading of the Word. In verse 8, it says, For from... You, the word of the Lord, has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything to you. So 
They were in, the, you see their imitation of Paul and the Lord. You see their reception of the Word of God. And you see the spreading of the Word. These are three things worthy of imitation. And note how they proclaim the Word. It says it was sounded forth. It was sounded forth. They did not keep quiet about their faith. They didn't keep quiet about it. They, 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 didn't, they didn't limit their evangelistic efforts to uh, um, just being good examples of what it means to be a Christian, what I would call a silent witness or a covert Christian. Uh, from the Word, from them the Word spread to other places, which, you know, it, it says Macedonia and Achaia. That's, that's modern-day Greece. So the word spread out and also in every place is regions beyond the country. And so uh, such was a clear indication of their faith towards God that not only the word itself but their own faith had become known to others. They were known as a people of faith. Not only a people who spread the faith, but they were known as a people of faith. And, uh, and, in, and implying that spreading of the word is an indication of faithfulness. A church worthy of imitation will be one with an evangelistic focus that looks beyond a local community. I'm very happy to report that, that uh, the Journey Church doesn't just exist here in Gainesville, Texas, but it also exists in New Delhi, India. And uh, soon, uh, as I understand it, uh, four men have been raised up from the support sent from the United States from our church, and four more congregations will be planted where they will be branded and logoed and have pastors in meetings and uh, in different states in the country of India. And, um, you know, that does my heart glad. And, and what's even makes me more happy is that they're preaching the Word. They're preaching the Word of God, and every once in a while I go over and I get to refresh them, and they wind up refreshing me. It's just uh, it's a marvelous thing. And, and so we're, we're, we're not the biggest, we're not the brightest, and God knows we're not the best. But we try hard. We want to be a church worthy of imitation. The, the standard is Christ, and uh, we want to be as He is. And uh, we want to make an impact on our community. Our, we, we want to magnify Christ through ministering to people. Well, how about us today? Do, do we have a similar evangelistic focus? Are we looking beyond the needs of our local community? Are we working towards spreading the gospel in other places? Uh, the need for such churches are still great today. Um, he shall... How shall people believe unless they have heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? It says in Romans 10, 14 through 17, and then ends, of course, with faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. Uh, just, as in, just as Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, 1 through 3 on one of the missionary journeys, they were sent out. Just as Gaius helped the missionaries along the way in 3 John, verses 5 through 8. And this is what we do. We... We, we expand the gospel and the reach of the gospel until the church grows to the point that it's sounding forth the word in other places by sending or supporting missionaries or preachers. It has yet to become a church worthy of imitation. When I was a young minister, I always, I always thought it would be really neat to have a, a person on my staff that was a missionary that our church paid to go overseas, and then that 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 
that person would not have to worry about their income. They could just advance the gospel, build a church, uh, preach the Word of God, do what Paul did right here in Thessalonica. It has never, it never occurred to me that not only would that come true, but that it would multiply itself fivefold. And not only to that degree that the folks, though, that we set up would be able to indigenously raise enough funds that they support themselves. And that was a hard break. It, it's an amazing thing. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And uh, I hope God let us have more opportunities to do that. So we, we want to be a church that's worthy of imitation. And just as the Word of God and the faith of the Thessalonians spread and became known, they were, they were imitation. They, their, their imitation of Paul and the Lord can be seen. They, they, uh, they received the Word of God. They, they, they were spreading the Word. Well, there's something else. Then you see in verse 9, they had their service to God. Look what it says. For they themselves declared concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Note the change that led to their service. They had turned to God from idols. They had turned to God from idols. The word turn here is the word um, conversion. Uh, they, they turned over. Uh, it's a dramatic shift from their devotion to idols uh, to a devotion of God, which Paul preached on other occasions. For example, if you look over here in Acts 14, uh, verse 15, it says, "...and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the things that are in them." This, this is where Paul, by the way, spoke at Lystra. And uh, I want you to know something. We're talking about being, they were imitators of Paul. All right, so Paul says here to the Thessalonians, he says, how you turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Well, when he said that at Lystra, you know what they did? They took him outside the city wall and they stoned him and left him for dead. Uh, so, you know, uh, it, it, <laughs> it's just amazing to me the experience that the Apostle Paul had and the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit that was on his life. He didn't sit there and pray off those persecutions. He, he embraced them and made it stronger. Um, he, he bore in his body the marks of his faith just as Jesus bore in the body the marks of our salvation. And so it's, it's it, you know, they, uh, Paul, Paul taught this over and over again. Turn to God from your idols. They're useless. They're useless. That's what he preached. And the conversion made their service to God possible. It made it completely possible. And so turn over here to uh, Matthew with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So you can't serve both God and idols. And to serve God, we must turn away from the things that would draw us away from God. 
So genuine faithful service to God requires a true conversion, which is to turn away from the things of the world and turn towards God. Not the things of God, but to turn towards God Himself. Well, how about us today? Again, how about us today? There are idols from which we need to turn. Uh, it's mentioned in Ephesians, for example. In Ephesians, if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, he says in verse 5, he says, For this you know, that no fornicator's unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Just keep going over past Philippians to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5. Look what it says. It says, Therefore put to death your members which are of the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. So I just want you to see this. Fornication, that's, I, I think we know what that is. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. All of that is idolatry. All of that is idolatry, particularly the covetousness, uh, the desire to, to have more. And we can be just as guilty of idolatry today as they were back then when they received the gospel. Is our service to God hindered by a double devotion, a divided devotion, trying to serve God while we still want to serve the world, wanting to love the things of the world? while we still love the Father, wanting to love the things of the world while the Father is loving us and showing us the way, but yet we turn away. Well, you know, as John made clear, such divided devotion is not possible. And I want you to mark this well. It's over in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things of the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So finally, what do we have? The church that is at Thessalonica was a church worthy of imitation because of, their because of their anticipation of Jesus. Their anticipation of Jesus. Look at verse 10. He says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. A note that they were looking for Jesus to return is... Uh, the word wait suggests that they were looking for and anticipating His return, as it says in Philippians 3, verse 20. And this anticipation is one that all Christians are to have, and, and I want us to study that. Look at Titus. Just go over to your right uh, to Titus. Go through Timothy. And uh, after 2 Timothy, you come to Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then over here in 2 Peter chapter 3, right before Revelation, 2 Peter chapter 3, 
and I apologize right before 1 John is what I meant to say. 2 Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 11 through 12, it says this, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt in fervent heat. So they had an anticipation of His return, for Jesus will come for salvation, as it says in Hebrews 9.28, to those who eagerly wait for Him. For those who eagerly wait for Him. Hebrews 9.28 is exactly what it says. Eagerly wait for Him. A church that's worth imitating will be one that is hoping in the return of Jesus Christ. When I um, am privileged to lead in the Lord's Supper, we take the communion at church. We teach that it's not just a mere memorial. Uh, we do remember what Jesus has done. Jesus did command, do this in remembrance of me. But He said that before, uh, the part that was to be remembered had been completed. And that was, of course, that His body was broken and His blood was shed. And uh, as often as you gather, do this in remembrance of me. And the Apostle Paul says, I, I learned this from Jesus. And um, we teach that you look in our, our, uh, you know, our past remembrance of what Christ has done, our present responsibility and our response to the future. He's coming again. So t for us, we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a great celebration, not as a somber memorial. doesn't mean we don't take it soberly and seriously, but we take it as a celebration because we, we anticipate not only what He has done and what He is doing, but what He will do. He is coming again. He is coming again, and even so, Lord, come now, we pray. So a church that is imitating, worthy of imitation, is one that puts its hope also in the return of Jesus. Well, how about us today? Are we eagerly waiting for His return? Are you waiting for His return? And I'm, I'm not talking about waiting for His return so you can escape this world's corruption and fallenness. I'm talking about waiting, eagerly waiting for His return because you want to see your Lord and Savior. That's, that's what the concept is here, that you want to see Jesus face to face. You want to see Him coming in glory. You want to see the One who gave His life for you. For those who have been called to believe, the men and women in Christ, the whosoever will, as it says in John 3.16, to believe that you'll want to see Jesus your Savior. If we're going to be followers of Jesus in this world, we will have tribulation. But Jesus says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But the reality of it is, is that that is the world we live in and that is the life we shall have. If we shall pursue righteousness, the Bible says you will be persecuted for it. That's the reality. There is no concept of living on easy street for the true follower of Jesus, for those who want to imitate Christ and be worthy of imitation. Our Bible is not written by men who lived on easy street. It's written by men who suffered 
and paid with their own blood their faith their their uh, with their their blood to prove up their faith and um, the reality of it is we may not be called to be martyrs but sometimes we're going to feel like it but I'm not anticipating Jesus's return to escape this world I have much living to do I have a lot of preaching to do the reason I want Jesus to return is I want to see the face of the man the God for whom I have been preaching, uh, the one in whom my hope is found, where all other ground is sinking sand. I, I, wanna, I want to see Him. I want to see Jesus. And so the answer to this question reveals much. You know, our attitude is like that of John when he prayed. I've already said it in Revelation 22:20, right at the very end of the Bible, the verse before the end, the, the penultimate verse. He says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Well, how you answer the question, do you anticipate the return of the Lord, says much about your spiritual condition. If you want Him to come to escape this world, that says a lot about your spiritual condition. If you want to see Him as He is and Him see you as you are in your present state, that's going to tell a lot about whether or not you are worthy of imitation and those whom you behold are worthy of imitation and the church is worthy of imitation. Remember that the church at Thessalonica was very young. It had been established only a short time before Paul had penned these words and yet Paul writes such complimentary words about them. It demonstrates what can happen when people totally give themselves to Jesus, when they seek to imitate Jesus and His apostles, and when they receive the Word, especially in the middle of persecution, when they turn from the world and they turn to God in full devotion, when they let the promises of Jesus return motivate their lives, and through such, the Word of God will be trumpeted forth as well as the reputation of their faith Will this be true of us is the question I ask. Will it be true of us? In conclusion, we note that Jesus' coming will deliver us from the wrath to come, the Bible says. It will deliver us from the wrath to come. We know this. Jesus is not going to pour His wrath out on His bride. He doesn't beat His bride. Um, Jesus is coming to deliver us from the wrath to come. And in his second epistle to the church, Paul described this wrath to, to come. If you look over here at 2 Thessalonians, the same epistle or the same church, he says right here in verses uh, 7 through 10, chapter 1, 7 through 10, he says, And to give you who are troubled rest, and to give you who are troubled rest, with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. He, when He comes in the day to be glorified in His saints and to be admired among all those who believe because of our testimony among you was believed. So how does Jesus deliver us from this wrath to come? Romans 5, 8 through 9 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, though it's the death of, on, of Jesus on His cross, and through His life that He reconciled us to God. 
in Romans 5, 10 through 11. Will Jesus deliver us from the wrath to come when He comes again? From the wrath of God when He comes again? Well, it all depends on whether or not we, uh, we take to heart what these Thessalonians did. It depends on whether or not we accept the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It depends on if we're... we're uh, it, and, and our assurance of it depends on our security of what the Word has to say if, if we receive it with gladness. As it says in Romans chapter 2 beginning in verse 4, do you or do you not despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness of your and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself the wrath in the day of wrath of revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by by uh, eternal life to those by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish, on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. My friend, we need my friends, we need to be imitators of the church at Thessalonica, and the church is made up of individuals who were imitators of Paul and Jesus, who received the gospel gladly. They, they were people that, that uh, showed forth the work that had been done. They, they, they were committed to this message. Their, their lives radiated with the gospel. They were shown to be genuinely real. Uh, they spread the word. We, we need to be a people that, that our service is to God our services to God, and last of all, we're anticipating the return of Jesus Christ, not to escape this world, but to see the one who died for us. Amen. Father, we just ask you to bless the Word of God as we've heard it. We thank you for the strength to get through it these moments we've been together, and we pray that uh, you would just press it down, stirred together, overflowing, in our lives and that father we may see these transformative truths rising up in our own lives and that we may be truly part of a church that's worthy of imitation we ask this believing in the blessed name of our savior and lord jesus christ by whom anyone can be saved that calls upon his name amen amen and amen god bless you have a great rest of your day